On this episode of Curbside Manor, I talked to William, who is a patient at the Mission Neighborhood Resource Center. William is both poet and employment specialist, an advocate and an inspiration, and he's been both homeless and housed many times. He visits the Mission Neighborhood Resource Center regularly to stay on top of his health, always coming in wearing a mask with a skeleton smile and a t-shirt that displays the faces of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and President Barack Obama side by side. He lives in a single room occupancy hotel right now, but remains a loyal patient and friend at the Resource Center. William is experienced, passionate, and extremely knowledgeable about homelessness in San Francisco, which he calls the city by the bay. He writes poetry about his experiences and the experiences of other unhoused community members, submitting his work to local publications in the hope of raising awareness of the challenges that homeless residents in San Francisco face each day. He's come by my office a few times to drop off some of his favorite poems. One of his poems begins like this. I am someone like you, a full-fledged human being, but in the last seven years, outraged at what I'm seeing. The city by the bay has had a politics change, declaring war on poverty with visions that are strange. Police sweep homeless campsites. Tickets and tow trucks prevail. Possessions are garbage bagged up. Homeless are threatened with jail. Affordable dwellings exist with waiting lists to sign. Rejected homeless are asking, housing, where's mine? You must find a lot of meaning from being able to understand people's situations and connect with people. Well, I'm originally from what you would call the land of hurricanes. Okay, I'm from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And then later on, later on, New Orleans. So you watch people every time a hurricane hits. You see the despair. Uh, you see the wishing for hope. You see people's lives get totally turned around. You see homes destroyed. You see family heirlooms lost, and you see people killed, okay? When you grow up in that environment, for a long time, you realize that, okay, anything can happen to anybody. The question is, what are they going to do afterwards? or if it happens to you, okay? 
So when you see the homeless that are out here, you know exactly where they're coming from. What they have, what they don't have, what they wish they had, and what it takes to get them back into the lives that they had. Um, you get used to that. Yeah. You don't get over it, but you get used to it. And that's how you, if, if you're going to be either a case manager or an employment specialist or a job developer or whatever you want to call it, you have to realize that, okay, this person is not at rock bottom, they are rock bottom. Okay? And anything else that happens to them it's better than where they are right now. That's the beginning of the playing field. That's what you start with. And you know, that's why I say, if you want to be effective, the first thing you have to do is listen. Once you listen, it gets easier for Besides finding people jobs, what do you think people need to get out of rock bottom? Like, is it someone to talk to, someone to give them confidence, proper health care? Like, what? How how to make that? How do you make that big transition, having made it yourself a few the, times? The first thing that people need, if you didn't grow up where I did, then. The first thing that people need is someone in their corner. Someone to tell them, okay, your life ain't over. Okay, you have a major setback right now. Yes, you do. But your life is not over. You simply start over again. Okay, don't expect anything. Just take it one day at a time. People need someone in their corner. Or they need to be surrounded by their friends, you know, so they can gain a little confidence and some energy to go ahead and start and go through that. Because they got a long way to go again, but they realize that they can make it as long as they got somebody with them. Like, here in California, and I'm sure you've seen this, homeless encampments in different places. The reason for that is a homeless encampment means these people have banded together to help each other rise, okay? If you see a homeless person with only a tent, and they're living in it, and they're by themselves, you can tell that, one, they don't have anybody in their corner. Two, they're probably feeling alienated or rejected. And three, they could be angry 
and in some cases four even get racial because they're alone and they don't realize that if you build friendships in the community of your own things start to come to you do you think encampments help people get out of homelessness uh yeah because encampments draw attention Yes, from the city, yes, from DPH, yes, from SFPD, but also from the public. There's been quite a few times that I pass an encampment and I've seen somebody driving by, and all of a sudden they stop and pull over, and they got one or two or three boxes or something, and they say, This is for you guys. You know, share it. And everybody's like, Thank you, ma'am, sir. You know, you know what can we do for you? Wow. Um, I've seen that happen a lot. There has also been, okay, like if you go up in the Post Street District, and you'll see somebody sleeping in somebody's doorway, usually a business's doorway, okay? Some of them have an arrangement, you know, with that manager or business owner. Not all of them, but there's a few that do, okay? Um, and those that don't, because said manager or owner doesn't want them there, they sleep a few feet down from the doorway or to the side of the doorway and every morning they get run off. But some of the people in the Post Street District, you know, they looked at that as, okay, well, he's not my employee, I don't know him, but as long as he's there, nothing happens to my business at night. The place is safe. Let's find out what this person needs. Interesting. Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll run across that. Um, I passed this business on Castro Street, actually. And there was a guy, like, about to set up his camp right in front of the doorway because the place had, had been closed for an hour. And I was like, oh, oh man, he's going to get harassed by SFPD. They're gonna run him off. But the guy who owned the place drove up, got out of his car, and had four subway sandwiches. The four almonds and like a bottle of fruit punch, I think it was. And he walks up to the guy, he says, This is for keeping my place safe. Now let's you make us a deal. And I was like, this is, this is unique, okay. So they made a deal, and I watched them do this. And I thought, damn. Why can't everybody do something, something like this? What William calls rock bottom describes the same cycle of homelessness and poor health I discussed in episode one with Emily. Within this cycle, however, there lies a component of unemployment. 
you lose your job and you become homeless, which makes it difficult to maintain good health and hygiene, which makes it difficult to get hired by an employer, which makes it hard to have enough income to pay your rent. You mentioned that you've been in and out of homelessness a little bit yourself. Maybe you want to talk yes. about that. Yes, when you, okay, when you lose a job, your housing's next because when you lose a job, you have a final paycheck coming, but you're not going to pay rent because you're thinking of survival, okay? Um... So you wind up either being evicted or voluntarily leaving, getting a storage locker somewhere in south of market. Hopefully you can afford it. And then you move into a shelter. I have been Let's see, I have been homeless one, two, three, four, yeah, about seven times. You know, you lose the job for it, or the job ends, and you know your housing is coming right behind that. Um, so I say about seven times myself, you know, and uh, when you're when you're homeless, you have to watch your medical care because you don't know what you can pick up from who. Okay, um, like when I was in uh, MSC South. Is that a shelter? Yeah, I was there from uh, 2009 to February of 2012. Now, I had gotten the job with Urban Strategies out of St. Louis in 2011. And I was just waiting for either Tenderloin Housing Clinic or Community Housing Partnership or DISH, you know, to come up with an empty unit, right? Well, while I was in there, in 2012, we had a very horrifying thing happen. Uh, we still don't know all the details on this, but two guys kind of got into it. It was just after the Super Bowl. They got into it because one of them lost a bet and owed the other one five bucks. And the guy said, okay, well, you'll get it. It's not right now. So they got back in the shelter. The victim came in first. And of course, at the shelter, don't you check because you have security. And he came in and sat down in the drop-in, signing for a bed. The perpetrator came in about 15 minutes later. He comes in, the guard goes to handle the fight, he sits down next to the victim, pulls the machete, stabs the guy in the chest. The guy takes three steps and drops dead. 
Um, and then all the rest of the homeless that were in there. Were you there? Yeah. We're looking at this guy, and we're telling him, you better get the hell out of here. Or you'll be like him. Because they were going to kick us behind. So the perpetrator left. The woman behind the desk called the police. They found the guy an hour later. Um, when, and this was on the news. It made the six o'clock news. When Urban Strategy saw that on the news, the next day, uh, Kelly Dearman came up to me and she said, you live in that shelter, don't you? I said, yeah. She says, what do we have to do to get you out of there? I said, uh, well, I'm just waiting for a unit to pop open. And I said, I got first month's rent. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna have to do the deposit in payments. And she says, no, you don't. So she said, go ahead and get the unit. I got the unit. They paid the deposit because they wanted me out of there. Were you working at Urban Strategies already? Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. Wow. They wanted me out of there. And, uh, I remained an employment specialist. I worked the front desk in, in nonprofit housing, sure, I did that, off and on. But uh, I kept doing resumes on people. So what do you think the trick to getting someone who's struggling finding a job, getting them a job, just a good resume, or uh, what else is needed? Why, well, why do so many people struggle with getting jobs, and how okay. do you think that could be? Well, first. You know, if you're going to help people less fortunate than yourself, you got to listen. That's the first thing. Once you've done that and they feel like they can relate to you and trust you, then you start to get to the real meat of the problem. And with most of them, um, whether they had a criminal record or not, and I've done a lot with ex-felons, okay? With most of them, it was just a matter of having somebody to sit down and talk to, you know, and tell them why you're homeless, what went wrong, or what you didn't see coming, okay? Or maybe what you should have let go of before, you got, before they got in trouble. And then after that, it's like, okay, all right, let's change that. And they say, how? I said, well, first, you need to pull in money in your pockets. And to do that, you need a job. To do that, you gotta present to that employer who and what you are. And the only way to do that is to do a resume on you. Once you've done that and they have proof in their hands of who they are and what skills they have. It's a confi they, confidence boost. Yeah, then they start to feel confident about themselves when they say, okay. And I ask them, what, what job category do you want to go into? And they tell you, you say, okay. So you go online, you can either go to Craigslist, or Indeed, or then there's like five other companies that do that. 
and you start plucking what jobs actually fit them. Then you give it to them, you say, okay, let's try these few and let's see how we do. Uh, and in my case, I guess I had a knack for it because after the third job they tried, they get hired. Once they know they can relate to you, then they trust you. Huh? And then you can gain ground like that. Um, in my case, I would say that once they saw what I was doing for people, all of a sudden it was like <laughs> magnet to steel. That they will draw to you quickly. Wow. Now a lot of these homeless people have a spouse living in housing with the kids somewhere. When they're in that situation, the one thing that they that really worries them is if on their check day of whatever kind of money they're getting, whether it's CAP, SSI, SSDI, retirement benefit, whatever, that they're homeless while they're collecting that. The one thing that means most to them is to be able to go where that other spouse is. If there's a divorce, of course there's visitation rights. If they're separated, then there's no need for visitation rights. They just have to agree. But they go to see their kids and they, want, they don't want their kids to stop loving them. Okay, so it means a lot to them to have enough money to go and be Big Daddy Warbucks or Big Mama Warbucks for a day. Okay, buy their children things or get things for them or take them out to dinner or something. That means a lot to them. that prevents them from doing that 
is well like here okay you guys only have so much funding you should have more but you don't so when they come here they know that okay I'm only going to get so much in treatment because it's it doesn't the clinic doesn't have what it should but they're nice people they're very caring people okay and what is needed is a medical plan that doesn't cost a lot that covers almost everything okay so as a homeless person you're looking around and you're thinking okay which one of these do I want to go to while you're in a shelter you could pick up a disease or an illness what are some examples of common okay, there diseases? was a time that when I was in next to a shelter and we were all asleep on the floor and this guy next to me coughed okay and phlegm flew out of his mouth on my arm so I got out and went to the bathroom and wiped it off and then sometime later I wound up with, with tuberculosis wow. so there's situations like that or if there's a plague like COV-19 right now okay um, everybody I'm sure they got everybody wearing masks you know and things like that but you know that somebody is going to be careless and not give a damn and not wear one and it's going to spread from when COV first started this year we found out that 18 shelter staff and MSC South tested positive within the first two to three weeks. There were four at the next door, and at some of the other shelters, you had like three to two, maybe. Okay. Um, but you're the sleeping area, you're <clears throat> like, if I'm here. There's someone like right there, okay, within four feet of you. Um, and that's another thing that can kind of deter you from job hunting is you don't want to go to an employer unhealthy. In 2017, rent went up from 200, I'm sorry, from 300 to 500, okay? And everybody was like, okay, let's see how this is going to work. Well, it didn't. It heavily taxes our rent is 80% of our income. 
That's crazy. Okay? That means all the people who have, who go and visit their spouse or ex-spouse and their children can't do it anymore because they don't have the money to do it. Which makes the children think that you don't love them anymore. Okay? There was that, and then people got desperate, and they started doing things to try to pull in extra bucks, like selling their overnights to some pretty scandalous characters that would come in the building and spend the night. Sidewalk flea market sales. Okay? Um, selling valuable items that they've had for years. They started doing all of these things. Okay? Just trying to make ends meet. And with some of them, it didn't work because ever since March of 2017 to now, 120 people have been found dead in their rooms because they gave up. They thought that no one cared or they thought they weren't going to make it. They just gave up. 120 people in three, in, yeah, three years. That's a lot of folks. Yeah. That, that averages 40 people a year. That's crazy, okay? Mostly from drug overdoses or from what? Um, some of them took their own lives. Some of them started using drugs they couldn't control to cope with not having what you used to have. Some of them just gave up on their health because of the situation they were in. And 80% of your income rent didn't help any. Um, <clears throat> some just basically just said, okay, if you don't care, I don't either. According to the Mercury News, a local Bay Area newspaper, deaths in San Francisco's unhoused communities rose 123% from January through September 2020 compared to 2019. Few of these deaths are thought to be a result of the COVID-19 virus itself, but instead indirect consequences of an aging and increasingly sick homeless population increased drug use, and even more limited access to healthcare. There are also just more people living on the street this year. Someone at the Resource Center told me, homelessness won't kill you, other things will. From what I've seen, it's true. There are a lot of resources available, such as food and some bathroom access in the city of San Francisco. 
which make it possible to sleep on the street in a tent or in a single room occupancy hotel with unhealthy living conditions and still survive. But the psychological and emotional toll of this way of life can lead to behaviors or suicidal thoughts that will kill you. Despite all this sadness, William maintains a positive attitude about things. He writes poetry, he volunteered at the local polling center for the election, and he visits the clinic to check his weight regularly. I think it's amazing, given what he's seen. It's clear to me that William has found a strong sense of purpose in sharing his stories as an advocate for the homeless and in lifting others up as an employment specialist. I think we all need a sense of purpose to be happy in life, but perhaps you need an even stronger one once you've seen rock bottom yourself. Thank you to William and the Mission Neighborhood Resource Center. This is Curbside Manor.